Good morning. We are at the Freiburg New Church Assembly. This is week one on Thursday, August 3rd. Uh, this is the second lecture. I'm Gard Perry, and my title is What Did Jesus See When He Read the Book of Genesis? So, um, my plan this morning is to provide a bird's eye view, perhaps a view from the what might be the troposphere from a satellite of Earth picture of the book of Genesis. And as well, I would like to provide a very broad overview of what the Lord's inner life, known as the glorification, uh, might have looked like, in which case we would get a view of what he saw in the book of Genesis. And I would do that from a similarly high altitude. And in addition, I'm prepared to talk about uh, the level of our regeneration, as that is portrayed in the narrative of the book of Revelations, excuse me, the book of Genesis, the literal text. So we have the literal text from a broad overview uh, of an informed surmise of what the Lord's inner life was like and a view of what our own inner life might be if we were to take the narrative as it's presented seriously, uh, as, a, as a text, a sacred text, depicting what? Yes, depicting um, history and, this is a big and, and it is an ancient text that, and I'll put somehow in capital letters, all capital letters, somehow depicts the dynamics of the human psyche, the human internal life as we grow spiritually and live in this world. So that is my uh, aim this morning. We'll do so very, very broadly. But I do so with one particular purpose in mind. I want to land our <laughs> vehicle from outer space onto a particular portion of this ancient holy land and uh, visit with Isaac and Rebecca briefly. So I'm very happy with our first lecture to remind us of the uh, lives of Isaac and Rebecca. So we're going to visit briefly with, in detail with them. And then uh, to support the purpose for which I speak with you this morning in these broad ways, I want to invite you into a basic question, which as I see it is, if this is what Swedenborg says about a particular incident uh, within this grand narrative, what does it mean? If what he says is true, what can it possibly mean? I don't take this as an insignificant question for it is one that I have found extremely difficult to answer. And I'm going to invite you into that difficulty. You can tell me if you uh, agree or not when we get to that point. And I do so with a premise, which I will also share. It is uh, something I have found to be the case. It is to have a method 
to approach Swedenborg's interior view of the scripture will give you confidence that you can discover and continue to develop your own inner view of what, the script, of what Genesis means, your own inner meaning of this sacred text. I'll repeat that. The premise uh, to which I hope to arrive is to have a method to approach Swedenborg's interior view of scripture will give you confidence that you can discover and continue to develop your own inner meaning for this sacred text, an inner meaning with which you can live. Well, let's get started. Uh, First, the overview of the literal text from the troposphere, looking at the earth. Um, We've covered the seven days of creation, a tour de force. I think Swedenborg's impact in history can largely be (laughs) credited for just the beautiful opening two chapters in the book of Genesis. They're extraordinarily compelling to say that this text And he even says this is mythic history, it's not true history, very advanced for his time, is a spiritual, a story of the inner life of human beings. Wonderful. And then of course, as we've heard, there's the decline and then the emergence of the people of Israel where he says this is true history. And we are reminded Swedenborg was not a part of the age which read the scriptures critically. Uh, He did not share in that um, epoch of analysis. I believe he's just before it began. In any case, he simply takes it as God's words to humans to be taken at face value. Now, we'll we'll say why that works a little bit uh, more later. And uh, just as the uh, Abram and Sarah are the first patriarchs and matriarchs that begin the story, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. Each, and then, uh, of course, we would add Joseph and, and his children in Egypt. To each, both the matriarch and the patriarch is, are given promises. To Abram, your children will be Uh, numberless as the stars and to uh, Sarah of course that she will bear a child to each of these is given a promise and to each there comes uh, staggering obstacles uh, and uh, events that can stymie their purpose to Abram he goes into the land of the Philistines excuse me to Egypt and there's a risk of his wife being kidnapped. <laughs> okay, he has to lie that he, she's his sister. Uh, to, to Isaac, the same, but this time in the land of the Philistines, there's great risk of, of foes and enemies that can stymie their purposes. Jacob, as we know, um, uh, was <laughs> stole the birthright of Esau. We could see what that might what might mean, and as that nation developed, as that people developed, there's a famine. And of course, we know the intrigue and the deception and the jealousy that led to these wonderful family dynamics. <laughs> this, <laughs> I would say a little tiny bit more about that, uh, that results in uh, 
Joseph almost being killed, winds up in enemy territory, really, he's, he's kidnapped, thrown in jail uh, in Egypt, uh, uh, f- for falsely accused of a crime. But, and maybe this is where we begin to get a sense of, the, of this ancient narrative, it's by virtue of Joseph's ability to discern the meaning of a dream of Pharaoh, that he is released from prison and becomes uh, the head of the granary, etc., and becomes a, a very powerful person. Later, the, his brothers, for whom, we, for whom, he forgi- whom he forgives in a very touching way, come to join him. And, of course, he has a reunion with his father, who's still living. Absolutely fabulous story. And I mentioned a dream because this is a non-rational story. This can be read as something that is an ancient text with, as Swedenborg says, a meaning other than, completely other than that which appears on the surface. And it is that level of meaning which I wish, that I wish to take seriously. The problem is when I do so, I run into insurmountable obstacles in understanding what can this possibly mean. So, on to an example. First, um, I'm indebted again to the previous lecture with Sage, in which he pointed out how incredibly gorgeous some of these stories are at the same time that they're incredibly problematic. Well, we're invited to to, uh, now believe that we can, in this case, accept the beauty of the story and to know that its meaning is on an in- can be. There are multiple levels of meaning. So um, you're invited to journey with me on the one deeply interior meaning with which I am engaged, by which I feel compelled, and uh, into which I invite you this morning. And so, um, first, Listen to this language. Uh, In the poetry of almost the King James Version, this is actually the standard edition English translation of Swedenborg's borrowing from the Latin Bible, so it's not quite the King James Version, but it has that poetic lilt. And now we've journeyed right down into the ancient Holy Land from a high altitude, and we're going to visit with with, uh, Rebecca first and and then Isaac in this wonderfully touching way. Uh, And it is after Abram's servant had lavished gifts of gold and spices and and camels laden with precious jewels and whatnot on on Laban, Rebekah's father, and after they've heard his message and his request that Rebekah accompany him back to meet Isaac and to marry him, her family says, let us call the damsel and inquire by her mouth. And they called Rebekah and they said unto her, wilt thou go with this man? And Rebekah said, yes, I will go. 
And they sent Rebekah away, her sister, her nurse, and Abram's servant, and his men, and they blessed Rebekah. And they said unto her, Our sister, be thou for thousands, for ten thousands. May thy seed inherit the gate of thine enemies. And Rebekah arose and her damsels, and they rode upon camels and followed the man. The servant took Rebekah and went away. And Isaac came coming from far away at this point, by the way. There was a journey from Padamaran to where Isaac was at this point. So a little shift of time here and place. And Isaac came from the land of Belhiaroi, and he dwelt in the land of the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes, and he saw, behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes and saw Isaac, and she alighted from her camel. And she said to the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field among us? And the servant said, It is my Lord. And she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the words that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother's, Sarah's tent. He took Rebekah, and she was to him for a woman, and he was to her for a man, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother. So that's a beautiful story. And then Isaac prayed to Jehovah, for Rebekah was barren. Okay, immediately a problem. Well, it didn't take long. The next verse, Jehovah was prayed, uh, was prayed to, and Rebekah conceived. And there were twins in her womb. And we began to hear of that story, Jacob and Esau. So, beautiful story, big problem, immediate solution in this case. So now I'll invite you into the world um, of problem, of, of taking this text seriously, simply opening the paragraph and ask, what, does, what is the inner meaning, what does Swedenborg say the inner meaning of being barren is? And, and please bear with me for a moment. A rather short paragraph, but kind of steep. So the text, of course, was Isaac prayed to Jehovah for Rebekah was barren. That, this is paragraph 3286, and here we go that this signifies that the divine natural was not yet is evident from the signification of woman being divine truth conjoined with the divine good of the rational, which truth was in the preceding chapter to be shown to be represented by uh, Rebecca, and from the signification of barren as being the divine natural was not yet. For the case is this, the divine natural had its origin from the divine good of the rational and from the divine truth therein. And when the divine natural was not yet, then the truth of the rational is said to be barren. And now continuing on, the case is when we are being regenerated, good is insinuated by the Lord into the rational, to which will or good is a joint truth from the natural. 
And when this has been done, the natural is not yet regenerate, as may be known from the fact that the internal or rational often fights against the external or natural. And so long as there is combat, the natural is not yet regenerate, and when this is not yet regenerate, the rational is said to be barren as to truth. Should I read that again? <laughs> Serious? I just explained it. Explained it. You, well, actually, yeah. do you want to translate this forward? Yeah. Okay. I got to put my phone in my pocket for a moment. Uh, well, actually, it would be too much to say, okay, what does this mean? But these are the main words. There's good, rational truth, and natural, right? So that this signifies the divine natural was not yet is signified by the fact that a woman as being the divine truth conjoined with the good of the rational, which truth in the preceding chapter was shown by Rebecca, and from this means that it was barren. The rational was barren. It, and the divine natural was not yet. And so I'm just going to read this one paragraph. Pay attention, and then I'm going to just ask, okay, what does this mean? I'll invite you into the problem. I do have, I will not leave you with the problem, though. I promise. <laughs> Uh, when we are being regenerated, good is insinuated by the Lord into the rational, to which will or good is adjoined truth from the natural in us, natural self. But when this is done, the natural is not yet regenerate. It is barren. All right. What do you do with that? <laughs> I told you, this is a problem. I, I've, I decided I would face this problem squarely. Fortunately, this is not the first time I've, this is not my first trip to the rodeo. Uh, but you're left with this idea, what is good? What would, be, what would that be? What might it be? You may just think about it. If you have an idea, you could say it. What is the rational? What is truth in this context? What is the natural? Uh, actually, when I was listening to the first lecture, I found myself, when Sage was saying these terms, meanings do come up. And I'm encouraged that at a deep level, intuitively, you know what this means. But, or and, Ought we be satisfied, or can we find a method by which we can get into a meaning with some confidence? And this is what I will propose in a moment. Um, any, before I do that, any attempts at what good might be? I could certainly give a, a very basic one here. As, as long as you assure me you are putting your thinking caps on and you're thinking. This is your time to participate. All right? Okay, good. I have a hand. When someone called Jesus good servant or good, called him good, he said, call no man good but thy father in heaven. And maybe he hadn't come into the natural right. divine yet. I don't know. Okay. But that always perplexed me. 
Well, uh, let's just start with that, okay? And I, what my aim is, is to take these big ideas. These are huge ideas. These are among the biggest ideas on the face of the earth, I do believe. To bring them within the, the setting and the size of a human mind and heart and life. How can we do that? I do believe that Swedenborg believed that people would be able to do that. So if we were just to say a very basic idea, good would be love. So love, now Swedenborg's talking about the, the development of the human mind, the internal levels of it. The rational mind is the mind that can reflect. So this is a point in time when uh, the Lord, while he lived in the world, was able to hold love and to reflect. And I'm saying that I'll bet you anything, you can all identify with this as well. So this is our level of our own human experience. And that truth has to do something that we're learning from the outside world in a particular situation. Okay, truth, love comes from within, from God. Truth, though, the way the human mind is constructed, comes from outside, either from teaching or direct experience. It comes through the senses. So truth has something to do with the situation, and the situation is a natural one, which means it's in the world as we live in it. This is the so-called natural world, which uh, in this particular context is largely thought of, and I'm going to begin to get into a method, okay? So when I said that there are very many, le there are several levels at which anything that Swedenborg writes about the uh, sacred text can be interpreted. There's the literal historical level, there's the level um, of the Lord's glorification, which I will posit is the inner life of Jesus of Nazareth when this human being lived in the Holy Land uh, at the time of Herod, okay? A real person. And yet he went through, uh, he, he, his level of development was at a completely different level than ours, so I want to be very clear about that. But ours is parallel. It's the same dynamic. Uh, so uh, the natural world in terms of what Swedenborg is now talking about can be interpreted as the social realm, the cultural social setting of largely uh, interpersonal human life. Not the only level, of course. There are, there are realms beyond that. But for the purposes of understanding the, the moral and ethical development of a religious community, uh, it's one way, and this is the first step in the method, by the way, is to limit the context to a context that you can, and my, that I could comprehend. And the context is a moral context of, of ethical behavior in relation to other people. There. That gets it from the abs. Uh, the context is a human context. I'm reminded again, not the only possible context. There are inner contexts that are so intra-psychic. 
And there are larger contexts that include um, our care for creation and uh, the environment. And in between, and there's the built environment. And in between, there's the human context of simple interpersonal relations. That's the boundary uh, in which I, uh, for this particular method, that is the, the container. So natural is the social realm. Truth is, voila, I promised you that I would not leave you in the wilderness. So, what we do here, oops, thank you. That's why lecturers practice things, I guess. How does this work? How do you get this thing? Except it came in upside down, I think. Didn't do that when I wrote it. Okay, now let's see. Does this come in upside down? Oh, no, it doesn't. Oh, that came in upside down. Interesting. <laughs> this is wonderful. Watch this. This is upside down. I read it and I said, uh-oh. <laughs> now, not only is it upside down, it says, do not erase. <laughs> Voila. Context is everything. <laughs> that, by the way, is the second major principle. Context is everything. In order to comprehend a very broad, deep, abstract idea, one I found has to decide what is the context. And Swedenborg has these wonderful paragraphs. All you have to do is look in pots <laughs> under the word subject. Subject is I. It's I and you. We're the subject. Then you say, where am I? That's your context. Who am I? Who am I becoming? That's the context of regeneration. And what saves it, as this, uh, as this method, what saves it from becoming narcissistic and uh, development of the self only is that it is radically oriented to the other. It's the neighbor. It's who you are within the setting of a developing, growing human self. Proprium. <laughs> proprium. Only the Lord has proprium. Proprium is a beautiful thing. Even at the beginning, there is no story without, without the Garden of Eden and the um, formation of so-called proprium. Okay? It's a gorgeous thing, how we use it. So good, simply uh, there's a substitution process here. I've simply elaborated a little bit to provide a context. A desire for the well-being of the other. Okay. The rational. And uh, as I read this, I'll say a little tiny bit about the, the word rational. It is a transliteration of a Latin word, rationale. <laughs> Rationalis, it sounds familiar. It's simply uh, a spelling that is identical. It actually means, and the first definition in Lewis and Short, which I, I believe is a very, very good definition, to take into account. The ability to take into account. 
what the thoughts, feelings, and situations of the person to whom you are speaking. That, in this context, in a moral context, is what the rational is. It's a ratio between myself and yourself. And when a person at this stage in development, by the way, I'm positing that this is a way to interpret this passage, which is incredibly impossible to understand. So I've had to do this. And it's not the only way. Remember, I, I'm, my point is you can form your own inner meaning if you make these types of steps. So this becomes one's actual sensitivity to the well-being of the other. We can have the desire, that's the will, but the rational is actually to be sensitive to who they are at that moment. And truth is then taking in the evidence of that through the senses, seeing the person, their body language, listening to their words. Rational would include comprehending their story not as part of your story, simply you're wanting their well-being. So this is what is called disinterested love. You love them for their own sake. That's another definition of truth. Because you'll see them much more clearly that way. And the natural is one social being in the world at that time. So this is the natural here at the Freiburg New Church Assembly, of course. And if you want to, it would be an actual interpersonal situation. And that's mirrored here. So what I'll do now, if you're, if you're ready and in the interest of time, I'm going to speed ahead and read, albeit a difficult paragraph. But if you can remember how difficult the first one was, <laughs> okay, uh, maybe bear with me a little tiny bit. And okay, here we go. Let's see, where did that paragraph go? That one. Um, this one will be considerably less difficult, I trust. But it is pretty much word for word. Yeah, no, it's not. Oh, boy. This is where. OK, I said I, I told a friend of mine I was rehearsing, but I didn't rehearse enough. Oh, good, I found it. <laughs> Phew, all right. That was a very difficult paragraph, 3286, right? The natural, the rational truth, and good. Pretty much word for word, I'm simply substituting these phrases for these words, and this is what happens. When it comes to our regeneration, to desire the well-being of the person to whom you are speaking is joined by a see seeing clearly what is needed in that moment. However, at this time, in one's inner growth and development, one's way of being in the world overwhelms one's best intention. We know this from experience. Long-standing habits of interaction with others are hard to change. One's sensitivity to the needs of others is at this time relatively weak, whereas self-referential habits of thought and conduct are relatively strong. There is a struggle. As long as a sensitivity to the needs of others does not manifest in a new kind of care and understanding, we say that even our best intention cannot yet give birth to our new way of being in the world. 
Yeah? That's it. That's it. Oh, good. I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad that went well. Would you like it one more time? Okay. Um, so, good. They're all there. When it comes to our regeneration, to desire the well-being of the person to whom you are speaking is joined by a seeing clearly what is needed in that moment. However, at this stage of one's inner growth and development, one's way of being in the world overwhelms one's best intention. We know this from experience, from long for long-standing habits of interaction with others are hard to change. One's sensitivity, that's the rational, one's sensitivity to the needs of others is at this time relatively weak, whereas self-referential habits of thought and conduct are relatively strong. There is a struggle. That's uh, Jacob and Esau, by the way. As long as a sensitivity to the needs of others does not manifest in a new kind of care and understanding, we say that even our best intention cannot give birth to our new way of being in the world. Okay, which is foreshadowing what Jacob and Esau will become. Okay? Yeah, Questions? Yeah, that's good. Uh, go ahead, sure. What you're talking about here, in a way, is true charity. Yes. It, well, uh, okay. Do you want to say more about that? Uh, if you heard that, Martha said she, what she's hearing is about true charity. Because charity is really love and care for the other person. It really is, isn't it? Yeah. So. Um, Unconditional. It is. And so uh, what the method I've found I've had to adopt in order to take seriously what Swedenborg is writing, because he's writing this beautiful thing. My question is, what is he saying? Is it true? And if it's true, what does it mean? And uh, I'll tell you, you'll never go. <laughs> we we kind of have this aphorism in our, uh, in our minds. I'm using the royal we at this point. I kind of have this aphorism in my mind that anything Swedenborg is really talking about can relate to charity. We know that. What I'm attempting to, to, to do, of which this is an example, and I, for which I'm very grateful and, and privileged to, to offer, is, well, what happens if we look at a really difficult passage about the inner life, in this case of a human being, and we, and we read, I read what it says, what do these words actually mean? And what I found is there has to be a substitution process, and that's the heart of the method. You look at a word like natural, truth, rational, or good, in the New Century edition, by the way, um, actually they've made a lot of progress, but actually they're still using very large words, uh, have heavenly, spiritual, and earthly. Well, okay, <laughs> uh, celestial, spiritual, and natural. Okay, uh, what do they mean? So the method is to say, okay, I'll choose a context. Uh, 
uh, ethical conduct in actual interpersonal relations in a certain social situation, any social situation. So there's a limited context for a limited purpose. Then substitute what are the basic ideas and feelings and thoughts and motives that could possibly relate, plausibly, without contradiction. They don't have to be perfect. Well, how about a desire for the well-being of another person? Well, actually, there's good grounds for that. Swedenborg says it several times. And so that's what the method and turns it into a practice. I, I'm sort of staking my life on, by the way. <laughs> I'm staking my life on it. And this is what I'm staking my life on. Uh, I could do what, if you're interested, and that's enough, I could do one meta-translation of the Lord's life to get a, what this would look like on the, on the much bigger scale, where a desire for the love, for the well-being of another becomes universal love for the whole human race. Right? It's, it's as real for Jesus of that. That is the difference. Okay? So, um, with a little luck, yeah, why don't I try that? Um, I'm going to read what, the, uh, what that sounds like, just a couple sentences in the standard edition, by the way. Paragraph 1407, and I'll just read the first part of it. Uh, verse 1, and this is chapter 12, verse 1, where the historical narrative with Abram and Sarah begins. This is, begins the uh, story of the Lord's glorification and our regeneration as, a, as a, a continual sequence of historical narrative. And of course it begins... And Jehovah said to Abram, Get thee out of thy land and from thy birth, from thy father's house to the land that I will cause thee to see. All these things which follow occurred historically, but the historicals are representative, each word significative. By Abram, the internal sense is meant the Lord. By Abram said to Abram is signified the first mental advertence of all. Get thee out of thy land signifies corporeal and worldly things from which he was to recede. And the from his uh, from his birth, the more exterior corporal thing, corporeal and worldly things, and from thy father's house, or, um, and if we could also say from thy mother's house, by the way, I appreciate that language, it's perfectly possible to make that substitution here, signifies the more interior of such things. Okay, I call that a problem. <laughs> That's a problem. That begins the story. Well. Uh, here's the simple substitution, but now it's on a much uh, bigger scale. Now the Lord said to Abram, uh, this is the Revised Standard Version uh, translation, by the way, of this verse. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Here we see Jesus of Nazareth's heart open for the very first time to see the vast love for the whole human race that he now realized. The immediate consequence of his realization, he would need to withdraw his attention from the formal religious rituals of his community 
and step back from the social standing he enjoyed as the result of his, of his religious achievements. He was also to let go of the happiness and satisfaction he had found, he found that accompanied his involvement with his spiritual practices. The reason was is that he would need all his physical and mental powers to face the opening of his inmost self. For Jesus of Nazareth was about to witness an infinite expansion of his love for all human beings with a limitless insight into the internal state of those human beings. I'm, Where was that? That's exactly the same paragraph I read just, oh, this is uh, paragraph 1407. Simply substituting for, uh, they were, uh, the words were celestial, spiritual, worldly, corporeal. Um, I simply substituted more plausible words where he's said in the social context of a young rabbi who has Basically, he's very involved in the religious life of Nazareth, which, by the way, had teachers. There was a synagogue. He would have been seen as a beautiful, bright young person. And Mary and Joseph would have been approached, we would like to teach your son. So he learned the Hebrew scriptures, he memorized them, he participated in the rituals of the uh, holiness code, the purity, these are the corporeal things. And he loved it as a young man. Then he was called to withdraw from all those things. So uh, that would be life in ancient Palestine in the heart of a perfectly trained young rabbi whom God visited. As his, in, as his own inmost being. And he saw as God saw. And that is what Jesus would see and did see when he read the book of Genesis. So I, um, I trespassed very, very badly in this lecture in that we only have a few minutes of discussion. We have a discussion afterwards for those who can stay, of course, for both lectures. Um, I was going to tell a funny story at the beginning of my lecture about time, but we only have four minutes, so I'd very much like to um, hear any uh, comment, or you'll have to be subjected to my funny story. I'm just going to give kudos, because somebody who sat through lectures when I was a child, a, a teenager here, and listened to the Wilson Dins and the Dolt, and, you know, <laughs> it just, nothing connected with me at all. And this is just, really, I've been able to hear this and, and interpret what oh, I see. It's really made a lot of sense to me. Thank you very much. I appreciate um, Well, on that note, I'll tell my funny story. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I, I love this place, and I thanked uh, Trevor, because I know I was great confidence that at 10 of People have places to go, and that he will say, time is up. And I would have introduced my lecture with the story that many of you know of the minister who approaches the pulpit, and then very carefully, as he's about to begin his sermon, takes his watch off and looks at it and realizes you know, just exactly what the situation is. And the nine-year-old girl in the pew asks her mother, Mommy, what does it mean when the minister takes off his watch and puts it next to the 
lectern. And her mother rolls her eyes and says, absolutely nothing. <laughs> okay, actually, you will never have that problem here at the Freiburg New Church Assembly. Time actually means something, and it is now 10 up. Thank you very much.